Nexa, formerly known as Answer One, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at nexa.com. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Hello and welcome to the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. I'm Jason Taché, legal affairs writer at the Journal. This week we're trying something new with the podcast and we've brought on two guests to help us understand the state of legal research technology and what's happening. It comes at a time where there are more options than ever on the market and companies are trying to uh, show how they're different and what they're able to do for attorneys and their clients. Joining us today, we have Bob Ambrosi, lawyer and legal tech blogger. He's as well as a speaker and a general legal tech evangelist, as well as Andrew Aruda, CEO and co-founder of Ross Intelligence, a legal research company. We're recording at a time where uh, we just launched our Legal Rebels issue for 2019. Uh, and within it, we have many people at, at different points in their career trying to change the way lawyers are thinking about technology. But Bob, with the focus of today's podcast, I would like to start with you. Can you give us an overview of what the legal research technology industry looks like right now? What types of products are offered and how companies are beginning to differentiate themselves? Jason, yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting to me because if, if I don't know, you know, five years ago, or you had said to me, what's the one area of, of technology that's going to see a significant degree of innovation over the next few years? I, I think legal research probably would have been the last one I would have identified because I felt like, you know, Westlaw and LexisNexis kind of had it wrapped up. You know, we had keyword searching, we had natural language searching, and, and it all seemed to be working pretty well. <laughs> and yet there's been some really interesting, in some ways almost disruptive developments coming in this area over the last few years that are that are changing the game. And, and I think what's interesting about it in particular is that it's tending to be some of the some of these smaller startup call them startups if you will although a couple of them uh, are, are starting to be more established at this point but the startups are, are reimagining rethinking the way we do research and driving changes not just you know with their own products but 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 getting the big guys to follow I mean both both Westlaw and and Lexus have, changed their their development their 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 product strategy somewhat in response to what's what's come out of some of these smaller startups so I mean, I, I can just just a couple of quick examples, and we can talk more about it. But I mean, we've got Andrew on the line here, so we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about Ross, which is you know introduced uh, the idea of AI-driven legal research, which is becoming something we talk about commonly now. You know, I think another great example uh, is the company Case Text, which Case Text uh, a few years ago introduced something called Kara, which is uh, the idea of Kara originally was that you could upload a brief you'd written and it would tell you what what's missing in that brief, uh, what cases 
should have been included in there that you didn't have in there already. Uh, and that's useful. That was useful kind of when vetting your own brief before filing it in court uh, or when you just got your opponent's brief in and you want to see what they omitted from their brief, whether intentionally or not. That kind of caught the world by storm in some ways. The American Association of Law Libraries gave that its new product of the year award. And uh, Case Text went on to kind of further develop that so that CARA becomes kind of an augmentation of conducting research. So now when you enter a query in case text, you can also upload a document relevant to that query. Maybe you've received a complaint in a case and you want to do some research into how you should respond to that complaint. If you upload that complaint and also do your query, you're going to get much more uh, sort of nuanced and, and refined search results than if, than if you were to just do a query alone. So, so that's an example, and, and that's a, a notable example because now, just this year, uh, Westlaw came out with its own version of that. Um, Bloomberg came out with its own version of that, or at least announced it will be coming out with its own version of that. Uh, and so the larger players are responding to what's happening with these kind of uh, startup techs. So uh, uh, I, I'll stop there and <laughs> we can talk more about that if you want to. But. No, I think that's a great place to start. And, and Andrew, something that Bob just said is, you know, five years ago, he wouldn't have thought legal research was this place that would see all the movement that we're seeing today. And about five years ago was when Ross got started. Uh, so what did you guys see at the time that said to you that you wanted to take on what was largely a duopoly between LexisNexis and Westlaw? I think a couple of things, I think some of which uh, Bob touched on in kind of breaking down what we're seeing in the field. Uh, but I think for us, chiefly, we saw that the pain of doing legal research was very real. I myself was doing legal research at my firm as an attorney, um, went to, a, obviously, I had those experiences in law school. And I felt that, and I think, you know, Bob categorized it as, you know, there were tools available that worked kind of just fine. And I think the way that we saw things and through conversations was that there was a lot more that could be done and the process could be a lot more simplified and streamlined. But that really wouldn't have happened if it wasn't also what we saw with the emergence of a new way of doing things technology-wise. And so what we saw was the emergence of a new field of computing called deep learning, which was a form of artificial intelligence. Um, and what you have is a computer system learn how to do specific tasks by seeing past examples and then interacting with users to kind of refine the way it's, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, thinking. And so what that has enabled when coupled with natural language processing capabilities is the ability for computer systems to truly start to understand text. But I also think most importantly, truly understand the questions you're asking of that text. And so, you know, whereas in the past I would use one of the legacy provider systems and I could certainly input what on the surface would be a natural language query, what ended up happening was those systems still break that down into keywords. And it, the words that are used, you lack a lot of um, kind of the meaning and, and computer systems were losing a lot of the meaning that and intention that a user may have. And so these new systems, what you can do is you ask those questions and they make sense of the words. They understand the words and the relationships of words on each other to truly decipher your meaning. And so uh, we saw the ability with Ross to flip kind of the legal process, re legal research process on its head. Instead of starting quite wide, getting back thousands of results, um, and then trying to find that needle in a haystack, we envisioned legal research kind of being flipped. 
What, what if we went, instead of from the general to the specific, we go from the specific to the general? And so that means being able to really cut through, allow users to ask their questions, but not just their research questions from, you know, in a traditional sense of the word. We also do really neat things around allowing users to input in, into our system um, the facts of their case and really talk about, you know, why they're doing their legal research from a procedural posture standpoint as well. And the results and what we've done is kind of really flip that on its head. So folks are getting, you know, to that aha moment of legal research quicker than ever before. And Bob is actually uh, kind of by our office not too long ago and saw some of the ways we're doing that. But, you know, five years has passed and I feel like so much progress has been made. And I'm really proud of not just what we've been up to, um, but what other folks in the space, last case, uh, you see uh, case techs and others entering the space. It's a really exciting time in legal research. And so within that evolution uh, that's happened most recently for you as a company, um, and Bob wrote pretty enthusiastically about this uh, after a trip to, to your offices in Toronto in July, is that you've, you've done a lot of work to open up the platform more to consumers. And I'm curious to a couple of things. Uh, why did you decide to take this step at this time? And what, what does it mean for you to, to be opening the, the platform up? So I think one thing, if I could take listeners on kind of a, a little bit of trip down memory lane, when we first started as a company five years ago, when I would and others at the company would talk about artificial intelligence, it almost came across as, you know, maybe a plot from a sci-fi novel. And so folks kind of didn't really grasp what it was. Um, it wasn't as kind of high profile as what we see it is. And, and then now you see companies like Google and Amazon and Microsoft and Facebook and, you know, IBM and others really taking this AI-first approach, which kind of has now led to folks kind of generally accepting that these new forms of technology are shaping and changing software. So at the beginning stages, that certainly wasn't the case. And what that meant was we really wanted to, at the first step, really turn towards education, education, education. And so we wanted to thoughtfully get out there. And that's where I spent the bulk of my kind of speaking time at conferences, was really on describing what you know, artificial intelligence is certainly been around for many decades, but more specifically, what can you do with these new forms? And so once we continue to educate the market, that was a really great way to see folks start to have, you know, um, some really great input into product development. I think at the same time, what we saw was, you know, very early on, we attracted as a company some really awesome, but very large law firms. And when we went as a small startup to serving more enterprise clients, that just meant that demand on the product was was quite high. And so being able to kind of open up the system uh, and kind of have it involved in every practice area just wasn't where we started. What we did was we took a classic um, new age software approach to us to building out something that solves a problem. We focused on a part of that problem and tried to do that really well. And so when we um, started, we were just in bankruptcy law. Then we went into intellectual property law. Then we went into labor and employment law. And then just a few months back, when we opened up the system across every area of practice, we thought it would be the perfect time to also just open up the platform completely so that anyone could come in and try the product. And that's what we have today, which is you know a really transparent, open way to assess the product. You can hop onto our website sign up for a 14-day free trial, no credit card needed, you're right into the system. And we feel like that is a result of us as a team getting kind of more technologically advanced and building towards that. 
but also just as a market, I think there's a lot more greater acceptance of AI. And it just kind of all timed up to, to really create a great atmosphere for us to make that switch. I'm curious within the, the discussion of openness, there's obviously when talking about uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning, uh, a different type of openness when it comes to uh, explainability and transparency of the algorithms, the special sauce behind the platform itself. I'm curious how you think about those things or if you're getting requests from customers and law firms to, to see behind that aspect of the platform. You know, that's a, an area that I'm really passionate about. And I think in areas... Um, outside of research and things like sentencing um, or, you know, AIs that are helping uh, sort through resumes, explainability, traceability are essential and key and need to be really nailed down before those systems are commercially available. I think in research, we've actually been kind of doing a lot around how can we open up and allow folks to see how Ross has kind of determined and, and kind of brought back the results that it has. And so some of our software releases in the coming weeks and months are going to be around that. But that being said, I think the most important thing that we've seen from an AI research perspective has been how effective is the tool at providing on-point answers to my question. And so when you see an older system, legacy system like Alexis or Westlaw, and I think they do wonderful things as well, but usually, and I think this is a key difference when you're talking about deep learning, those algorithms that those companies deploy um, have to be modified and switched around um, with humans uh, at the center of those decisions. Whereas what's really interesting and, and makes deep learning so dynamic is that these systems can start to refine and learn on their own so that they can continuously kind of improve the way that they provide results. And I think that's really exciting. And I think there was a, a really wonderful paper by the awesome Susan Nevelo Mart, and it was talking about you know, how in legal research do systems like Lexis and Westlaw kind of return results and how are their algorithms weighed? And I wrote a response to it and it was really well received, just talking about how in some ways, the way that deep learning and the way that AI approaches it, you may actually get some more insight than than you do um, or some additional kind of more controls than you do when you rely simply on a few humans to kind of make those tweaks manually. I was actually, that's a place I wanted to go and, and ask you, so I'll, I'll do that now. When the game Go finally met its deep mind match, so when uh, artificial intelligence was able to beat the top-ranked human players in, in this game, uh, it did so by making moves that a human wouldn't have done. Uh, and that was kind of it, its brilliance going through this refinement process that you just uh, talked about. I'm curious if you see that in legal research as well, where uh, a deep learning algorithm is going to pick out case law uh, that maybe a human lawyer wouldn't have considered in the same way. I think that's already happening. Um, and in some ways, you know, you hear of things like uh, like CARA, and you think you hear of things like some of the new tools that the legacy providers are kind of coming up with to keep up, uh, and, and certainly what we're doing at Ross. Um, we are using these kind of cutting-edge technologies to reorder the way and the results you'd necessarily get back if you ran that same query through one of the legacy platforms. And when you do that, what's interesting, it doesn't seem as exciting or sexy as kind of a, an AI system, a winning and go, but what you do get and what we get on a daily basis kind of in feedback from uh, our customers is, hey, you know, this was really helpful because I ended up asking a question that I commonly deal with and I've dealt with many times. But it's interesting. It brought me back what I would have expected from one of those other providers, but it also brought me back a few cases that I 
didn't ever use and I hadn't seen before that are really on point and helpful. And so I think the main differentiator, though, to use that Go example, is in Go, there's a best move. There's an optimum. Um, certainly, you know, it might get, you know, into the minutia of how much better one move is to the other. But what's interesting and why I think legal research has been a perfect place for Ross to continue to build out a more AI-centered approach is that you want to see all the possible moves you can make. In other words, you want to see all the highest passages from case law that might help you argue what you want to accomplish for your client. And that's why this is so exciting. And I think from our perspective, especially allowing folks to do things that you can't really do in any other platform, like add facts and add you know, your procedural posture and kind of have more of a conversation with, with legal uh, text, you end up getting some really awesome results. And so we might not have a Netflix kind of, you know, go gets defeated documentary. But I do think what we're already seeing is legal research is being shaped uh, by AI and actually improving the end results for clients, which I think is and should always be the end goal. One of the lessons of that Susan Neville-Omart paper that Andrew alluded to is that these different research platforms return really different results. I mean, surprisingly different results such that in her paper, uh, when she compared a number of different research platforms, the, the, the top 10 search results in, in each of those platforms had almost no overlap in terms of the cases there. So, I mean, one of the lessons of that is that uh, somebody who really wants to be doing a thorough research job uh, probably shouldn't just be relying on one research platform. <laughs> Andrew may disagree with me on that, but uh, the, the lesson is that uh, if you really want to be getting a broad spectrum of cases, then you should probably be uh, doing your search on multiple platforms. But, but the flip side of that is that I think, I think what we're starting to understand is that there are a lot of different use cases for, for legal research, and some of these platforms are adopting or adapting to that. Uh, I mean, it's sometimes when you're doing a research query, you don't really want to be writing a law review. You don't want the overview or the universe of everything that's relevant. You just want to know quickly what's the answer to my question. And, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things that, that Ross is, is well suited for because it takes you right to that narrow result. Uh, I think uh, Westlaw is trying to get uh, more at that direction with Westlaw Edge, where it's kind of able to use AI and take advantage of its whole key numbering system and everything else to kind of deliver you a very quick result. And then when you want that, that broader universe, then... Again, there's different ways to go at it, including using something like Kara, which is going to help you refine your results into uh, with the, more specific to the facts you're using uh, in the circumstances. Is, am I researching a summary judgment motion? Am I writing an appellate brief? That affects what kind of uh, research results you're going to want to get. We'll return to our conversation in a moment after a message from our sponsors. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm software, and much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. And we're back with Bob Ambrosi and Andrew Arudo talking about the cutting edge legal research technologies that are out there. Uh, after uh, Bob just had his comments, uh, Andrew, you wanted to add something? 
Yeah, I was going to actually just throw my hat in and agree with Bob. Uh, I think one of the best parts of what you know you've seen through academic literature over the last few years is this acceptance that hey, you know, every new every system does things in a different way, and that means you're going to get different results back. And I think the most effective way to do research. Um, is certainly to use multiple platforms um, so that you can weigh in, maybe find those insights you might miss out. I think, however, and this is both from experience as an attorney, but also in conversations with our customers, I think the challenge is when you some of the kind of more legacy providers, they're very high kind of per month rates that folks have to pay out. So oftentimes after they've paid out for one, um, you end up uh, not having a budget to kind of compare and contrast. And so what we've done, and I know others in the space have been doing similar things, is try to make our system as affordable as possible. For example, us uh, at Ross, we charge $89 a month, uh, $69 if you do a year uh, contract. But what I'm really kind of getting at is with these new providers, you're getting choice to try out and see results being produced for you using different methodologies. And I think the really neat thing is, especially considering pretty much everyone I know offers a free trial of some shape or form, you can really use those tools first, assess if they actually help you uh, or not, and then kind of make a judgment. And I think that's the most important thing because I think being excited about AI-enabled research or different ways of doing research is one thing, but seeing the results, getting your hands on that tech and trying it out is another. And so I encourage you know folks who might be listening to this and say, hey, you know what? I didn't know there was any other choices out there. There's a universe of choices. And I think you would all benefit from kind of getting on there and trying things out. So Bob, the jump off to having you two on the podcast today was the, the piece you wrote uh, after visiting Ross in Toronto uh, earlier this summer. Uh, and I'm curious what you know, you, you were pretty excited in the piece talking about getting to to see aspects of the platform and ask questions and get answers that you previously hadn't had access to. So what is it that you learned uh, that you were unable to know before uh, after this trip to Toronto? I, I mean, I guess what what's sort of funny is that, I, I mean, Andrew and I uh, have known each other for a long time, but uh, uh, I had, you know, generally, if I if I call a tech company and say, uh, I'd like to review your product, uh, the, the password is, is in the mail uh, five seconds later. And I was I had some trouble with Andrew uh, getting uh, getting access to Ross to try it out. And you know I, I understand the product was in, in development uh, and, and evolving and, and they were refining it over the years. So I, my experience in going to Toronto was completely, uh, you know, 180 degrees from that. As a matter of fact, Andrew had reached out to me and said, you know, we, we want to open our doors uh, to you. We want you to come up and look at what we're doing and uh, look at what we're, how, you know, look at our, meet our people, look at the technology, look, kick the tires and everything else. So, uh, you know, just, just that, just having that opportunity to go in and not just review the product, but to be able to actually meet the people who are building it and, you know, the engineers and, and the UX people and, and uh, you know, even the marketers and everybody else who's part of the team uh, and talk to them. Uh, it's eye opening. I mean, it's always interesting when you do that with a technology company and, and because you see. You see that the people who are building these things, not just at Ross, I mean, I've seen this elsewhere, but the people who are behind these things are really passionate about what they're doing and really believe in what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see that. And, and uh, you know, I think this is a company that has 
really matured uh, both in, as a company and, and in terms of the product that it has. And I, so I, I think that was the, the source of my enthusiasm. And you, you say that the, uh, the, the process was eye-opening. I guess I'm still just trying to get to the, as someone who, who doesn't practice but writes in this space, me testing out a, a platform like Ross or, or Fastcase is kind of a moot point because I don't have uh, the context for it. I'm, I'm curious, I guess, more about your process when you get the opportunity to test out these tools. What is it that you're looking for? What experience are you looking to have? Like, what are the notes that you're taking along the way? Well, you know, I think, again, it goes back to uh, a comment I, I made earlier that, that there are, I think, you know, different ways of approaching legal research. There are different problems that you're approaching in legal research. And, you know, I think what Ross has done is to turn the equation upside down in a way. Uh, uh, when, I, when I was meeting with them in, in Toronto, they, they kind of used the, the phrase of an inverted pyramid. But uh, I mean, the typical way we, we come at, the way we've been trained to come at research is to put in a query and get a whole bunch of cases and, and try and sort through those uh, to find what's, what's re- most relevant to what we're doing. And Ross is taking the approach of saying, let's build a platform that's going to deliver you the most specific results we can deliver or the, or the most precise results we can deliver. And then you kind of work backward from that and, and, and broaden out your search if you need to do that. You know, there are so many examples on the market right now of, of coming at legal research from a different angle. Just a, just another example, we haven't really talked at all about analytics, but, you know, there's been a, a huge rise over the last year or two in this area of litigation analytics. And uh, in the research field, that means, that, you know, you can go in and kind of find out things like how long is it likely to take a case to to get decided or, or a particular kind of motion to get decided and what are the odds that your motion is going to get granted or not given the particular judge that it's before. But so now, you know, that's been extended over the last year to kind of combine sort of straight data analytics with the context, the language of cases. LexisNexis uh, rather launched a product uh, last year called Context, which was built off of something that a, a startup called Ravel that it acquired had first developed, but uh, context is something where it's using AI and analytics to look at the cases that a judge has has uh, decided uh, and to tell you uh, when you're arguing a case before that judge, uh, what, what's the precedent that judge relies on? Who are the judges that judge considers authoritative? Uh, so when you're crafting your brief, you can write your brief with an eye to knowing the cases that judge is likely to find uh, convincing or, or the precedents that judge is likely to find convincing. And uh, that's another example where uh, uh, Lexus came out with that. And then uh, now uh, Westlaw, just Westlaw Edge now came out with its version of, of that as well, uh, kind of context analytics. So I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I guess what I'm saying is what, I, what I'm looking for is, you know, really not so much how it applies to my practice because I'm writing reviews of these things, but how, how do they differ? How are they unique? How are they delivering something that isn't already on the market? And how is that something useful to a practicing lawyer? And, and you get a little bit at this, Bob, but as we begin to wrap up, uh, I, the question I wanted to leave you both with, and Andrew, we can start with you, is where do you see the next frontier for legal research where as as you talked about earlier in the podcast 
deep learning is one of those things that only gets better over time as more data is fed through it. What is this going to mean in the next, you know, both short term and long term for for legal research? I think, again, might not be as exciting uh, of, of kind of a statement for me necessarily, but I think it is. I think the big thing that I see next for legal research is a move for, you know, everyday uh, folks to be able to, and I mean this from a practitioner standpoint, to be able to afford to have and are using, it becomes kind of the usual to have access to maybe multiple platforms or, you know, uh, a lot of folks just use Ross and they find Ross to be enough, especially if they start with two and then they eventually see they're starting and finishing their research in our tool and they, they switch. But my point is this kind of new landscape, um, this attitude and culture of trying things out, um, especially if, you know, things are available for trial. So I think that might be my short-term kind of exciting thing. Now, I know you want something more exciting from a technology standpoint. Um, and I think the way that I see things, the way that we see things at Ross is that we took on the legal research problem first because it's a really hard problem. Um, being able to have a computer system understand the nuances of human kind of writing is already difficult. Add on legal writing, which is almost notoriously kind of known to be complex and, and kind of full of legalese, is also an additional challenge. But I think we're starting to see some really awesome results in this uh, as we've kind of chipped away over the years. And so I see things going further. And that means having these systems be able to take on more of an attorney's workflow, perhaps around research. So what happens after you do research or what happens before? So, you know, um, software that enables better client intake conversations and interviews, which may offer questions that an attorney may miss out on. Or alternatively, um, software systems that, you know, you start your research, you draft your research with it as an assistant, and then it ends up filing things automatically and, and kind of having more of that full integrated kind of workflow arrangement. So I think the sky's really the limit, but I, I think before we get ahead of ourselves, you know, with some of the, the crazy things to come, I do think we still have this big challenge where um, in legal, there is an inertia around software. Um, we haven't seen a lot of movement from kind of the, the incumbents in the space to really change their products until what you're, we're seeing over the last few years. And it's now moving at such a pace that I don't think, you know, for I was at a firm of about four lawyers, it's hard to keep up to date with what's happening. And so I think my big hope is for folks to get excited about these new tools, to start thinking and getting used to the idea of doing legal research differently um, and then getting out there and trying things out. Um, you have nothing to lose. And in, in many ways, you have a lot of things to gain. And I think even from a dollars and cents standpoint, a lot of solos and small law firms, uh, you know, a big part of their overhead are their subscriptions to services like a West or a Lexus. If you're able to combine, you know, a fast case and a Ross or Ross solely, et cetera, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. So I get more excited about that necessarily than some of the sci-fi stuff. And Bob, what about you? What's in your crystal ball? You know, I, I think that we are really just at the early, very, very early stages of, of understanding what artificial intelligence can do in, in, in legal research. Not to make this sound like a, a, a commercial for Ross, but, but one of the people that I met when I was up there in Toronto was uh, the guy they just brought aboard as, as, uh, as their head of engineering uh, a guy who used to work for uh, uh, Shopify and, and, and Google as an engineering lead there. You know, it was interesting talking to him because he said, you know, he, he looked at what's going on in legal and he realized this is the, the te technology here is just in its infancy and there is so much potential 
for uh, developing research technology and other kinds of technology in legal beyond what we've ever thought of. I and mean, one of the problems of being an incumbent in this industry is you tend to think about that legal research is done in a certain way. I mean, that's kind of what, what West and Lexus did. You know, we, we were used to that and it seemed like that was the right way to do it until somebody comes along and disrupts that. And uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for disruption. I don't have the answer for what that is, but I do think just building on what Andrew said, that there's going to be, uh, you know, we're going to see technology evolving that's not just going to deliver us cases, but that's going to help us contextualize and understand what those cases mean to the very specific facts and circumstances that we're in the middle of researching. We're already seeing that start to happen, uh, and that's really the next stage. Well, as these developments continue to to march their way forward, I'm sure we'll have you guys back on to, to discuss what the next cutting edge is going to be. I want to thank you both uh, for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Bob Ambrosi is a lawyer and legal tech blogger, speaker, and general tech evangelist, and Andrew Arruda is the CEO and co-founder of Ross Intelligence. And if you haven't yet, you can go to abajournal.com slash legal rebels to see 2019's Legal Rebel Cohort. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next month. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit legalrebels.com, legaltalknetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.